Hey there, folks. Adam Bush here. Hey, thanks for taking some time to listen to the Pete and Penelope podcast. We've had so much fun putting these episodes together as we interview storytellers who work in industries like film and television and literature. Pete and Penelope is an educational puppet television show for preschoolers about two siblings who spend their days in a treehouse that comes alive every time they step foot inside. We're currently getting Pete and Penelope ready to pitch to networks in the coming months. And if you'd like to know more, you can visit PeteAndPenelope.tv. The Pete and Penelope podcast is sponsored by Creative Audio Lab. Look, if you work in film or television or do commercial video work, Creative Audio Lab is your team of audio professionals. These guys not only mix and master your audio to make it sound incredible, but they create custom scores of music to fit any piece you're working on. You can visit creativeaudiolab.com to check out their work and find out how they can make your audio sound like magic. And now, without further ado, here we go. Hey, what's up, everybody? Our guest today is comedian Michael Jr. Michael Jr. tours across the country and has been on The Tonight Show, The Late Late Show, Oprah, Jimmy Kimmel, Comedy Central, and today he's on the Pete and Penelope podcast. Michael, first things first, talk to me about your first stand-up gig. Uh, there, were, there was an, a festival in my city of Grand Rapids, Michigan, and um, I wanted to go up and do some, uh, some make people laugh, but... And I had another guy who wanted to as well. So we went up together and uh, we were gone. I can't remember if he chickened out or what happened, but um, I ended up going up anyway because my attitude was I'm, like some people would be afraid of audiences. I was never afraid of an audience. In fact, if I saw other people be afraid of an audience, it would give me extra courage to not be afraid of an audience. So I just went up there. I can't remember exactly what happened there, but on my third time on stage, I did a show. I think it was the third time. I'm not 100% sure, but it was called The uh, Super Show. And this is in Flint, Michigan. And at the time, Flint, Michigan was the murder murder capital of the country. And they were proud of it, too. So The Super Show was like this big talent show where 3,000 people would come to see local talent. 3,000 people. And um, and I'm going on stage, and everybody is amateur. And uh, I'm about, and then one, one person goes on stage, and uh, they're, they're a singer, and they get booed off the stage, and they're throwing stuff at them. And then somebody else goes out there, and they try to rap, and they get booed off the stage. And then this girl is supposed to go up and sing, and she has a beautiful voice. I heard her in the back, and she was singing, but she was scared to go out. Like she was almost tearful. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going out there. I don't care. And then they introduced me and I go out. And the first words I hear, the audience is quiet at first. It's 3,000 people, the murder capital of the world. And the first words I hear is, you better be funny. Beep, beep. That's what I hear. So my response is, I know I have to attack or I know I have to go at. What we, I have to address what just happened. I can't just move on because they'll eat me up. And I don't know why I know this in my third time on stage, but instinctively I just knew this. So the guy is yell, So the guy yells, "You better be funny, beep beep." And I said, "Um, I said, wow, I can't believe I just got heckled by the darkest brother in the room." And the people laughed a little bit. And I said, "You're so dark skinned. If you ride a motorcycle, I bet you get a ticket for tinted windows." <laughs> Boom, the place explodes in laughter. And I said, anybody else want to say something? Because I got some jokes I'd rather do instead of talk to the audience. 
and I, they were locked from that point on. In fact, I took I took second place because there was a little kid that went out who was dancing like Michael Jackson, and you're not going like you can't beat the kids. It's just not going not gonna happen. So uh, that was probably my third or fourth time ever on stage, but it's just. I, I really believe the worst shows you do, the harder they are, the more you learn. But if you do a great show like now, like last weekend or whatever, when I did the comedies, getting standing ovations and people laughing really hard, they're great shows and they're fun, but you don't really learn nearly as much as you do when the show doesn't go well. Okay, go off script here. Expound on that. What, what are you learning? Uh, when a show goes badly, you learn how to be agile. Uh, some guys will, in fact, in that same city, I remember doing a show and uh, there was a at a comedy club and there was a there were six people in the audience six people in this comedy club audience so this guy goes up on stage and he does his routine like he just does his exact routine to a, a large audience even though it's not a large audience and it was the weirdest thing ever because he couldn't he couldn't veer from the page so I'm sitting there doing the math and I'll go up I'm supposed to go up after him and I'm like there's I can't do that it's like he's not even acknowledging what's going on. So I just went up there and uh, started, I think, a joke. And then I started acknowledging what was going on. I was like, hey, I'm excited that there's uh, the six of you guys came out. I hope you carpool. Or, I don't know what I said, but but I acknowledged the fact it was a small audience uh, way back then. And, and they loved it. They enjoyed it. So then I would also talk to the people who weren't there. So I was able to acknowledge what was really going on. And and find the funny in that situation. Now, had it been a great crowd with a whole bunch of people, I would have never gone there and even found new comedy material because I would it, it just wouldn't have been necessary. Uh, now, at first, the first three or f- to seven minutes was hard because I was still up there searching, like, what am I going to do? What am I going to say? What was going to happen? But then because I was in there dealing with that, I was able to... Um, I was able to find a new voice or a new location to present uh, to, to present the funny from. And as a result of that, so the next time I go up on stage and if the audience doesn't seem to be as tentative before I get up there, I'm aware that I'm agile enough to come up with something that will bring the funny uh, regardless to that circumstance. I've heard you talk about um, you feel like you have a, a special ability to look at a situation in, with a, a at a few different angles to find what's funny about that. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I wouldn't say special power because that seems a little uh, superhero-ish. But I would say um, I do have this – I can look at – I mean comedy is really – comedy and any storytelling – is really, here's the formula right here. The formula is A, B, three. That, I mean, that's the formula. A, B, three. If I just say A, you don't know where I'm going. I could be doing an acronym. I could be giving you a list that'll go all the way to J. You have no idea where I'm at. But when I say B, you zero in a little bit and you and you start making some assumptions that I'm gonna do the alphabet, maybe just the first, most likely just the first three, or maybe I'll go a little further, but you in a little more because you kind of got where I might be going. In fact, if we're really, really quiet, we could even hear you get ready to pronounce C. But comedy, again, and good stories, I believe, are A, B, three. When you see the three, it doesn't fit what you're expecting. 
it kind of creates a um, a disconnect. But then you realize three actually fits there. And this revelation is what caused you to laugh or remember the story that you've just been told. So uh, I am really, really blessed with where sometimes I'll see a situation that's going on and I can pick out the A and the B and then I can show up and be the three, whether that means make someone laugh or whether that means uh, uh, give to somebody in a way that they weren't expecting or just be um, just be nice to the wait to the waitress that has a bad attitude because when she first came in, she had a bad she 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 had a mean guy. She was serving a, a really mean guy at a table and it just messed up her day. So then the next table, she had an attitude, so her tips are low. The next table, she had an attitude, so her tips are low. She comes to me, she has an attitude. I smile at her and give her a $50 tip and say that you're awesome. Boom, changes the entire trajectory of her day because I was able to see the A and the B and then I was able to B the three. Give me an example of a joke that would work with. So a comedy piece that would work that way, let me look on my notes, matter of fact, is um, here's an example. I had a hard time reading when I was a kid. I used to struggle with my reading. And my uncle, when I was younger, he tries to make me feel better, better about it. He says, you know what? We're math people. Uh, you're probably going to have a math gene. Um, in fact, you, you probably have a 40-40 chance that you'll get the math gene. Boom. So... The whole joke is about, I mean, it's about me having a hard time reading when I was a kid, an uncle who will consult who will consult me. So everything is about, you know, uh, maybe things are getting better or I'm shifting stuff to a disability. And now it sounds like there's hope at the end where my uncle is going to encourage me. And then suddenly he says, there's a 40-40 chance you got it. So it turns out we're not even good at math. Boom. That's the joke. So, um so the A and the B is just the, the basic setup that you're like, oh, he wasn't good at math. Oh, he's some sad story. Wait a minute, there's hope. And then boom, all the hope is gone. No hope. Yeah. You're talking about storytelling and how this works with storytelling. And the thing that I've noticed about your bit um, or your stand-up that's different than a lot of people is you include so many stories, some that are funny and, and some that – are more pointed, have a message to them. Um, mm-hmm. To me, that's one of the things that's so unique about your style and and re- maybe even just uh, your purpose and what you're doing. What is what's why why is that different for you? Why not why not just get up and tell jokes? Why also have a message? Well, I don't really look. I never try to prepare a message. Like, I never necessarily go on stage. Well, I, for sure, I used to never go on stage saying, hey, I'm going to give a message. But the truth is, is uh, everyone has something to say. And uh, if all I'm doing is telling people, giving people jokes, people always say the phrase, they say laughter or comedy opens up the heart. Well, if I'm going to open up your heart, I want to make a deposit of something that's mm-hmm. going to be useful to you. I don't just want to open it up and then close it again, and then open it and close. Like, what is that about? I, I want to make a deposit of something that has helped me in my life, and then hopefully it can help you as well. So, uh, and the way I kind of, st- what, what comedy does, and even great storytelling, what it does is it allows you to enter into a different place with the individual who's receiving your story or your your comedy in a more of an intimate, 
in a more of an intimate way because they're, you're painting pictures for them and you're, you're, uh, you're bonding with them on, an, on another level. So I think there's a, a level of responsibility that should come with that as opposed to, hey, I'm just going to do some jokes. You're going to laugh. Your laughter is going to make me feel good about myself. And then, I, then we can both leave. In fact, why don't you pay me some money so I can feel good about myself and then I'll go on to the next event and get money from them. I'll, I'll make them laugh and then I'll feel good about myself too. And then we just move on. It's just that feels and seems and really is like kind of a selfish exchange. I mean, if you look at it that way. And I know a lot of comedians will say, because everybody wants to do something. Everybody wants to give. So a lot of comedians will say, you know what? I get to help people um, when they have a hard day or they or something ain't going good in their life. Yeah. They get to come and see me and then they forget their problems for a while. Yeah. Forget their problems. Yeah, but they don't go away. There's no way for them to deal with the problem. I mean, I think that's I think that's legit that people need to be able to relax and just throw and, and not be overly concerned with their problems. The Bible even says, don't worry. I really, really believe that's a huge way. But what if you could help them? Uh, take that step away from their problem for a minute and then maybe even drop in some encouragement that can help them uh, when, when when the problem shows back up, when they have to deal with it again, they're encouraged and they can conquer that thing potentially. So so there's a little more that you can give than just a, a short vacation. I mean, if you if you want to, I mean, the opportunity is there. You're talking about the difference between helping them right now as opposed to helping them now and giving them something to walk away with. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Give them something additional to leave with because that's what people that's what people remember the most. I was in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, and your listeners, if they want to, they can Google just Google the picture of Vulture and the little girl. And I this is a picture that I um I was backstage doing an event in Phoenix, Arizona. There was like 3,500 people there. And on a scale of one to 10, we're probably laughing at maybe like a, uh, I would say a seven, maybe. And then before before I went on stage, I was looking at this picture of this vulture and this little girl. I can paint a picture for those who can't see it. It's a little girl who is, uh, she's probably over in Africa somewhere. And she, you can't even tell it's a girl, really. She's on her knees and she is in a really bad place, very, very hungry, very, very malnutrition. And there's a vulture about 30 feet behind her. And the picture depicts how the vulture is probably waiting on the girl to die so the vulture can eat the girl. Now, the photographer is under a tree. I mean, apparently, and he takes a picture. He takes this picture. He comes back to... Now, what you can't see in the picture is there's about a meter away, 100 meters away, is a food bank that the little girl is trying to get to. Now, you can't see that in the picture. But so I'm backstage and I'm having this conversation with uh, with uh, a friend of mine backstage. And then I go on stage. I start doing my comedy show and we uh, we're laughing, like I said, at a level seven. And then I feel like I hear God say to me in the middle of my show, show them the picture. And I'm thinking, like, what picture are you talking about? I can't be. Nah. So I'm moving on with the jokes. And then I feel it again. Show them the picture. And I'm like, my goodness, how, what picture? Huh? So I say to the tech guy, hey, can you pull that picture up that we were looking at in the back? And this dude looks at me like, what are you talking about? You can't be talking about the picture of that vulture and that little girl. 
And I looked at him, I was like, yeah, dude, that picture. So I pulled this picture up with a vulture and a little girl. And the audience goes from laughing at a level seven to zero, complete silence. And I explained to them the story where the photographer takes the picture of this little girl. The little girl's trying to make it to the food bank. The vulture's waiting for the girl to die so he can eat the little girl. And the photographer takes this picture and he gets on a plane and he comes back to the States. And everyone at, and, he, and he actually wins the Pillister Prize. It's the greatest prize you could win um, as a uh, photographer. And everyone asks him the question, what happened to the little girl? And the photographer says, I, I don't know what happened to her. He actually waited 20 minutes under the tree. Uh, he waited an additional 20 minutes because he wanted to get a shot of a vulture opening up his wings because he thought that would be a better shot. Uh, so he didn't get that shot. And he took that picture, came back to the States. And six months later, I mean, wins the Pulitzer Prize, six months later commits suicide. Oh. And I explained to my audience that day, and this is all impromptu. I explained to the audience that day, I said, had he been of the mindset to save the little girl, my thought process is he himself would be alive right now. If he, if he was of the mindset to save the little girl, he himself would be alive right now. So I said that to my audience, and I cannot tell you what I said, but after this, but within the next two or three seconds, we went from laughing at a level zero, complete silence, to probably laughing at an 11 or a 12. Oh. Now, some people might think that means that the audience is really insensitive, but I actually would beg to differ. Uh, they were laughing really, really hard. And after the show, they were walking up to me and they were asking me questions like, how can I be a part of your cause? How can I be a part of what you're doing? And they actually created their own email list and start writing down their email addresses so I could contact them on what to do. And what I learned in that moment is that there is room between the jokes. There's room between the story to input more than just more opportunity for you to receive some acceptance. There is room in between there. People want to know what's really going on. They're looking for an opportunity to give. And you can give them that opportunity simply by weaving it into your story or just being open to doing something that may not make sense to you. But there's a bigger play at hand that you don't even see. Um, so that that's opened up my eyes to saying, wow, if I could show that picture to that crowd and get that response, it was as if I understood. It was as if God was saying to me, there's room in the gaps I need you to fill those gaps, not to receive, but to give. And that's what I've really been setting out to do. Obviously, this is something that has come through your journey as a comedian and as a storyteller. What what was that? To walk me through it a little bit logistically from, from, the, from the Super Show to where you are now. And, and I, I see the point where you kind of came to that realization. But leading up to that, was the goal just making people laugh? Yeah, the goal has always been, and with a lot of my comedian friends as well, just to get laughs from people. It's all about getting laughs. How are you going to get laughs, get more laughs? Then you get noticed. Then you get a TV show. Then you get, it's all about getting. Mm -hmm. But one day outside of a club, I just clearly had a club in Los Angeles right before I got on stage. I, I did a little prayer, and I felt like God said to me, instead of going up there to get laughs from people, it was like a revelation, like a shift said, I want you to go up there and give them an opportunity to laugh. This changed everything because now I'm not looking to take, I'm looking for an opportunity to give. This is a game changer for me. Not only um, did it, did I, was I more relaxed because when you have a gift for someone, your job is simply to present the gift. It's not about how they respond to it. 
it's really about you just presenting the gift. So I went up on stage that night. I did the show. We had an amazing time. I leave the club that night. And I'm outside. People want autographs and take. they want pictures. And it's the same thing whenever I leave this club. But this in particular night, while I'm talking to the people, I look across the street and I saw a homeless guy. Now, I had never seen a homeless guy outside this club before, ever. But that does not mean that he wasn't there before. That just means that before my mindset was to get as opposed to give. And as soon as I changed my mindset, I start seeing new things that I hadn't seen before because my eyes were were more selfish, if you will. So I see this homeless guy and I'm like, what about him? And I get inspired to do a tour. And we're still doing them where we go to homeless shelters and we go to prisons and I don't show up with some I don't go to a homeless shelter with some food and some socks because that's not my gift. I show up at homeless shelters with my gift and I present my gift to them. So we do comedy shows at homeless shelters and prisons and abuse children and, and places where people don't really have a lot of opportunity to laugh. And we show up and we do shows with them and, and we, we get them and they get to break through and they get to laugh. And some of my comedy comedian friends would be like, dude, how are you doing shows at homeless shelters? What if they don't laugh? Here's the thing. I'm not there to get laughs. I'm there to give them an opportunity to laugh. So regardless of how they respond, my job is simply to present the gift. And it just so happens that they respond really well pretty much every time, which is even a greater gift to me. Because if I can get a room full of homeless people to uh, laugh, that is equal to a room of 5,000 ticket buyers giving me a standing ovation. So uh, it's, it's all about perspective and how you look at it. So just doing those tours. And we even, we did a prison last week in uh, Houston and getting standing ovations in prisons and people happy to see you. And it's just like, man, we just don't feel like anybody out there cares about us. And now they saw me on TV on, on the tonight show or, or uh, comedy central. And now I'm right there in their prison with them. Like those guys, I had one guy say to me, man, I didn't, before you came here, um, I didn't really feel like I was human, human. What are you talking about? I don't like, I wasn't, like, I don't even get that. How do you not feel human? Like, I, I don't know what that feels like. But for him to say that to me, and all I did was show up with the gift that I've been using all of this time, like, it just it just makes sense. It's about giving, not about getting. You have, And if you can make that shift in your mindset, it will change everything. A mechanic might say, in fact, I talked to a guy in my audience once, and who's a mechanic, and I said, so I said, what do you do? He said, well, I'm a mechanic. I was like, so what does that mean? What do you do? And he says, well, I get paid to fix cars. That statement right there will cause you to hit your snooze button. And I explained to him, I said, if you could just make a shift to understand that you actually help ensure that people will reach their desired destination, that will put your alarm clock out of business as opposed to hitting the snooze. It is all about giving. It's not about trying to get. Now, there's nothing wrong with receiving because some people have to receive in order for other people to give, but it's not about you. You're not that important, except for when you're giving. This goes far beyond just comedy and storytelling. I mean, the principle you're talking about here is, is I mean, it, it works across the board for everyone. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't care what, what you do. Because there's no job that anyone has anywhere that isn't about serving other people. But are you serving other people to really serve yourself or are you serving other people to serve other people? 
you and I, we, we come in contact with a lot, a lot of um, speakers, a lot of, a lot of communicators who are on a weekly basis, you know, giving a message or, or hosting or talking to an audience. Um, having done this for a while, I understand the power of comedy, maybe at the beginning of a message or a story in the middle of it. Can you, for those guys out there who are communicating every single week and would love to infuse some comedy into what they're communicating, what, what kind of tips can you give them um, to be able to grab hold of their audience's attention, like kind of right off the bat? Well, the biggest tip is to ask yourself, I just spoke to a bunch of speakers yesterday. I did a uh, the thing where they were asked me to come in and speak to them. But, uh, and what I explained is the biggest thing you can do is what I just talked about. You have to figure out what you have to shift your mindset to not walking out there to say, I hope they like me. I hope they like what I'm going to do because that means you're out there for selfish reasons. You have to shift yeah. it to what can I give to this audience? If you can shift it to what can you give to the audience, it'll change everything. The other thing is, is you have to know your why. When I say your why, like uh, everybody know, everybody has a bunch of what's that they can do. I can do stand-up comedy. I can uh, write books. I can be in more movies. I can do more TV. Those are all what's. But my why is to comedically inspire people to walk in purpose. So my why never changes. I have a lot of options for what, but my why is always the same. So the key is to figure out your why, because when you know your why, it gives you more confidence, more boldness and more passion about what it is you're speaking about or what story you're telling. But if you don't know your why, you're just up there hoping that you can figure out what you're talking about. And, and that's a that's a, it's a huge disconnect for you and for your audiences. And it's harder for them to receive it, even though they can't necessarily articulate what it is about you that they can't receive. But when you know your why. They can, they're undeniably will receive what it is you're saying because you're walking in boldness and it's not about how they respond. It's about you communicating what it is you want to communicate. And then another question I would ask is, is if you, if you're talking to an audience or you're telling a story, if you could, if you can only pull one of those people to the side and you can only talk to them for 10 seconds and whatever you were going to say to them, it would stick and they would do it. What would you tell that person? And whatever that thing is you would tell them, that is what you want to, that will help you understand your why. Like if you boil it down and get all of the junk out the way and you only got 10 seconds, chances are that 10 seconds, that thing you would say to that person, it would is connected or is absolutely your why. That helps you get the junk out the way. So I would do those things and it would help you get more clarity as to, you know, why you're doing what you're doing. There's a video. There's a video on YouTube that I posted that illustrates this really, really well. Where there's a guy. If you put if you put in Michael Jr. and Amazing Grace, uh, it's a really cool illustration that we put together that has gotten a lot of love on YouTube and Facebook and stuff. That illustrates it. All right, and yeah, and we'll put that in the podcast notes. It's interesting to me, Michael, and I noticed this about you the the last time we were together that when we're talking, you. The majority of the things you're saying that you're so passionate about flow through a funnel of connecting with people. I expected it to be more about comedy, and I asked, I asked you. I'll just ask you this question without giving the answer. I, I said, what do you consider yourself a preacher or a minister? Like when you're introducing yourself to people, do you? Oh, no, not at all, bro. No, I, I just I, I feel like that I have a uh, 
Uh, I'm a comedian. I feel like I have a, a cool, funny message to say, but everyone has something more to offer than what they do. The mechanic has something more to offer than just fixing somebody's car. I mean, he can. Everyone has a little something more that they should be able, should be able to give. If all I did was make people laugh, I would be in a really miserable place. Mm. But there, there's certainly, unquestionably, undoubtedly more than just uh, than just cracking jokes and getting laughs from people. Because most comedians get on stage just to get acceptance, and once you understand that you have been accepted by the by the the one by the, the king of kings and everyone else's acceptance kind of pales in comparison. It doesn't mean you don't still want it. You don't still uh, strive for it to some degree, but it doesn't have nearly as much the uh, the appeal as it used to have. So now I understand that it's really, like I want to, I, I literally will walk in rooms and I try to do this, pur- I purposely do this, and I just ask myself, what what can I get, you know, how, what what do you want me to do in this room? And it may be nothing. It may just be sitting down and learning. Uh, I did. A, I was in a room with Chris Rock and a bunch of his writers when they were getting ready to prepare for the Academy Awards. And I, I asked that question. I was like, okay, God, what do you want me to do here? What What can I give? What do you have me to say? How do I? And I felt him say, I just want you to look and I want you to receive and learn. So I didn't say anything after that. I was just sitting there listening. So I try to be sensitive to whatever, because I'm, I'm cool with receiving and I'm cool with giving. I just want to be obedient, whichever way that whichever way that flows. So. Talk to me about um, almost wrapping up here. Talk to me about just one of your. We're bouncing around a little bit. Just like one of your your bomb moments, like your big your biggest bomb on stage. So here's what's weird is I, I know this is going to sound weird, but I don't really have any of those moments. Well, let me say one time I was on stage, and it wasn't. It was at a college. I don't really love doing colleges. I don't know who your demographics is, but I don't. I never really loved doing colleges because I don't really communicate well with college kids because I didn't go and I don't get it. So uh, and then I don't have any debt to kind of really connect with that whole thing. So, um, but I was at a college once and I did a show and what happened was I'm doing the show and it's going great. And there's a lot of girls there. I was younger at the time, and there were a lot of girls there and the girls were cracking up laughing. Then the dudes come in and they start getting a little sour. So the guys literally said, you know what, let's boo him. So, so they waited. I mean, it was funny because they didn't even know when to boo. Like they would boo after they were done laughing. Like you're going to laugh. And then, so they literally would boo, boo me and say, Hey, one of them said, um, Hey, you know, and I was off stage, I was getting ready to leave. And the girls loved the show, but the dudes didn't like the fact that the girls liked the show. So it was like, Hey, let's boo him. And, um, and I said, y'all can boo all you want to. I'm going to go ahead and take your uh, tuition right now. This check that I have. And I'm going to be on my merry way. So you can boo me on the way out the door if you want to. So that was probably the, the most, one of the more awkward kind of experiences. But as far as an actual joke on stage not working, I'm not saying that all jokes always work. But I'm saying, like we talked about earlier, in those moments when things aren't going your way is when you learn the most, when you become agile. So if a joke doesn't work, I don't just move on. I acknowledge the fact that the joke didn't work. And when I acknowledge it, that moment becomes funnier than the joke. It becomes funnier than what I had planned on before. It actually becomes part of the A and the B. And the fact that I acknowledge that 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 joke didn't go like I wanted to becomes the three and causes laughter. So it's all about really being aware of what's really going on as opposed to you just up there doing a stick where you're just saying stuff. And if it don't work, you just move on. 
if you're going to really connect with the audience, you can't move on. There's an elephant in the room that you didn't even acknowledge right now. And now it's going to be awkward for everybody until we're able for, to forget about this in the next eight minutes or so. So um, as far as the joke not working and becoming an embarrassing moment, I, I haven't, I don't really, you know, it sounds weird, but I don't really experience that a lot just because of the being agile. I've, I've watched you live twice in the room and three times, I guess. And, and, I, you know, a lot of times, if, especially if it's a longer set, you'll take a, an intermission, talk to the audience. Right, and break, break time. Break time. My, man, my thought is just, what if you're talking to somebody and nothing funny comes to your mind? Well, here's the thing. That tension is comedy's best friend. So the fact that I take a break, you're talking about break time, which is when I stop and talk to the audience. We actually have some clips of break time on YouTube. So if you put in micro break time, you can actually see some of this happening. Um, and I just talk to the audience, but that's what happens is uh, that's what happens when um, when you take that risk, when you uh, when you take that risk, it heightens the level of tension in the room, which means people know anything can happen. So whatever I say, the chances of it being funny are are even higher because of the risk factor, because of the tension that's in the room. So I just take the risk. And then if something funny happens, boom, it explodes. It's great. And as you saw in those three shows, I mean, I don't know if you saw any down moments where nothing happened, but for the most part, something goes, it goes great every time. But even if it doesn't, I'm on break. I just like, yo, I ain't trying to be fun. So the whole thing is completely manufactured to hopefully work out. But it's none of it is ever staged. If you ever see Michael Jr. on stage and I do break time and I sit down and I start talking to audience members or I take questions from the audience, None of it under any circumstance is ever staged. It's just not. So we'll get random questions. We got a question one time. A guy said, Michael Jr., I was wondering, um, why are black people teeth so bright? I was like, because um, we brush them. <laughs> Won't you brush your tooth? <laughs> and then, and so it's all completely improv and we just see what happens. And that's But that's part of it. You have to be willing to take that risk. And it doesn't work out perfect every time. But when it does it supersedes maybe the one time that uh, the one joke that didn't really flow that well. So talk to me about um, where we can find out more about Michael Jr., what we can watch, what you got coming up next, that whole thing. So I got a grip of videos on YouTube. If you just put in Michael Jr. comedy, all of those videos will show up. And then we're on tour right now. So if you go to MichaelJr.com, you can okay. buy tickets. I'm probably in your city somewhere. And you can come see the show and you can come check me out and do a break time or maybe even be a part of a break time. And, um, and yeah, mainly just come check, check a brother out on tour and come see the jokes. We're working and in uh, next next fall. We'll release. I believe it's next fall. We'll release a new comedy special. But right now we're just going to tour and get everything cooking. So go to MichaelJR.com. Don't go to MichaelJrSpelledOut.com because it's a little kid selling vacuum cleaners. So you don't want to go there. <laughs> Um, yeah, go to michaeljr.com and come check out a show live. It'd be pretty dope. And of course, we can follow you online. I'll post those to the to the show notes, see what's going on minute by minute. Yes, I am Michael JR uh, Comedy on all social media platforms. Michael JR Comedy. Right on. Hey, Mike, thanks for being our first comedian. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for talking to us and hanging out with us. Dude, thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. You're doing great stuff. I think you're a... Um, 
think you're a good dude, man. That's why I decided to do this, man. I think you're a good dude. I think you got a ridiculous, amazing uh, potential. So go after it. And you got a pretty wife. I don't know how that happened, but yeah. I don't know how it happened either. All right, we'll talk to you again. Hey, thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to follow along as we create the show, you can visit us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook just by searching Pete and Penelope. You can also visit our website, PeteandPenelope.tv. Hey, if you like the podcast, rate us on iTunes or send us an email at info at PeteandPenelope.tv. See you later.